Now there's a number of pictures in scripture that describe Jesus's relationship with the church. And I'll just give you a few of them. Um, he is the head of the body, the church, right? In that analogy of the body, Jesus is the head. When it comes to the temple, he is the cornerstone of that temple. He is that, that stone from which everything now is built in order to make that temple level and strong and stable and to carry all the weight that is going to be placed on it. It's all because of him. He is also the, the chief shepherd. He is the, the, he is the prime shepherd of the flock, which is his church. And so it's this last picture that we come to here in, in an analogy form that Jesus uses as he's talking with the Pharisees, or the Jews, you might even say. And let's just think a little bit about the setting here. We've just gone through chapter 9 where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, and in particular about a blind man who was born blind, who was a beggar, that he gives sight to. And if you remember, it was a, it was a sign, it was a symbolic thing to teach those who were there about the religious leadership and their continued blindness, even though all evidence is placed before them. And last week, we, we looked at that once again. We reminded ourselves of the fact that Jesus has laid out evidence upon evidence upon evidence as to who he is, why he came, where he came from, and what he has come to do. Now, this is on the heels of that, and it's probably right after that that Jesus now comes and speaks again to the Pharisees, and in particular to the Jews. At the end of our text, you notice there are some responses to what Jesus says and identifies the Jews, and we find this Jesus communicating and dialoguing, and then there's a response. Jesus dialoguing, and then there's a response. This is a pattern we're seeing in John. So here John reveals for us another encounter, maybe exactly or immediately after this, this interaction with the Pharisees. Um, because if you look at chapter, uh, chapter 9, and you look at uh, uh, verse, let's say, 40, it says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now remember, the chapter divisions are put in there after the fact. So it's very possible he's just moving right into this whole analogy of um, himself being the shepherd. But as we approach then this passage and this whole concept of Jesus being that shepherd, um, there's a couple of things that make this difficult for us. It's a problem here with our understanding of sheep and shepherd. Uh, the first problem is that this, this whole image is, is so familiar to us. You, know, you go into a, you know, a, a children's Sunday school class and you're talking about Jesus. Often you have Jesus with a little lamb, right, with a staff, and it's just kind of cute and, and, and cuddly, and Jesus there is seen as being very, very kindly and friendly. As the British would say, he's a, he's a very, very fine chap, okay? And so there's this kind of image of Jesus as this, as this shepherd is just being kind of, you know, this, this meek, gentle shepherd. Or isn't there an old song, you know, gentle shepherd, come and lead us, you know. And yet, at the same time, we go back to um, Psalm 23, and we're reminded there that the shepherd has a rod and a staff. And that rod and staff is used for prodding and poking and pulling and all that kind of stuff. So the shepherd analogy in our minds often is distorted because it's become so familiar. 
The second thing is, um, even though it's familiar, the reality is it's too unfamiliar. Um, anyone here have sheep at home? There might be a couple of you. Um, now, you may have kids at home. I didn't mean that your kids are like sheep. But, all right, but typically, we, we aren't living on the farm. We're not sheep herders ourselves. And even if we were, we would be Western in our thinking of how we handle sheep. And so it's important for us to enter a little bit into the world of what it means to be a shepherd in the context of Judea during the time of Christ. We really don't understand shepherding properly. Now, well, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but the, thing, the second thing is we really don't understand um, the, the idea and character of sheep. Sheep are pretty, and if you're a teacher here, I'm sorry, I'm going to use a word you should never use in class. They're pretty stupid. I mean, if there's a time to use the word stupid to describe something, this is the time. Sheep are stupid. Now, when I say that, please don't think, oh, Rod, see, you're a pastor, therefore you're a shepherd, and you're calling us, the sheep, stupid. No, I am a sheep just like you, okay? That's the analogy here. Sheep are pretty dumb creatures. When was the last time you went to the circus and they brought out dancing sheep? All right? Now, they might have bears, they might have tigers or elephants, but you don't see the sheep running around doing tricks. You don't do a high five with a sheep. You don't have it roll down and beg or whatever it is, right? Sheep don't do that kind of stuff. Dogs bark. Cats hiss. Snakes rattle. But sheep go, bah. that's it. That's pretty much it. That's all they do. There's, anyone ever been intimidated by it? Maybe when you're about this high, right? but you're not. When sheep escape from the fold, they don't run wild. Listen, we, we, we deliberately keep our two cats in the house. We do not want them to go out because we do not want them to interact with those nasty feral cats out there, right? Because we don't want them be to become feral cats. When sheep escape from the fold, they don't go out and go like, all right, I'm a rebel sheep now. No, sheep go out and they get eaten. That's what they do because they're sheep. I mean, you don't hear about attacking sheep. You know, this flock of sheep chased down this deer, you know, and devoured it. It doesn't happen because that's not the nature of a sheep. A sheep does not have any offense, doesn't have any defense. The only sheep, only thing that sheep are good for is this. They flock together. A sheep is out, you know, in the meadow, and it sees a wolf. Bah, boom, it's looking for the flock. And it runs over the flock, and all the other sheep are there going, bah, and they have no idea what's going on. But there's a sheep running to the flock, and so it gets to the flock, and now the flock is running around the field. And they have no idea why they're running around the field, except for there's this mass panic among the sheep. They're dumb creatures. Now, if you go online and you type in, you know, dumb sheep picture story or whatever, something like that, you will find, and, and this was a few years back I did this, that there, was a, there was actually a picture of like over a thousand sheep that went over a cliff. Because if one sheep goes over a cliff, I don't want to say, ah, that must be a good place to go. 
And he finds out, oh, and they just kept on going because there weren't any shepherds around. They were down having a rest and drinking some beer or something like that. And they come back and they find their sheep are over a cliff. Now, it is pretty funny, isn't it? Until you stop and you think about the fact that God calls us sheep. Now just think about that. The only way to help sheep is to provide them with a shepherd. A shepherd who can lead them to safety, a shepherd who can lead them to green pastures, a shepherd whose voice will eventually be known to them. So the shepherd for the Jew was a symbol of provision. It was the title that was given to their kings in the New Testament then. It's a title that's given to those who are the elders, the leaders of the church. In the Old Testament, it was also used as a description of the spiritual leaders of the nation. And then, I want to say during Jesus' day, it was a title that was used to describe the religious leadership of that day too. They were considered to be shepherds. Now, we come to verse six, and it says here, John kind of gives us this little insight. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, we, we, we've almost got tired of the they didn't understand what he was saying to them motif that John is using, because just over and over again, they're just not getting it. But we need to focus in on here is the fact that this is a figure of speech. He's, he's using a figure of speech to communicate spiritual truth. Now, in the other Gospels, the word is what? It's parable. But a parable is more of a story that has a spiritual truth in it. Here what we have is we have a figure of speech. And this figure of speech is, is laid out for us to give a contrast between a true shepherd and a false shepherd. And who are the true shepherds and false shepherds? Well, there's, there's false shepherds, that would be the Pharisees specifically. That's the context that Jesus is speaking to. But they are also those who have come back through history who are who are not being faithful to God, and there is one true shepherd. So it's not true shepherds, it's one true shepherd. This is not a passage teaching us about um, how to be a right shepherd in the context of a church. In this analogy, there's only one true shepherd, and that is Jesus. But there are false shepherds, and those are the Pharisees, and those who have come before them who are not faithfully representing God. Now, we're told here, just a quick survey here, faithless shepherds, excuse me while I click, faithless shepherds um, are like, we're told in here, thieves and robbers. They're strangers. They're hired hands. The faithful shepherd, though, is a shepherd of the sheep, a door, a good shepherd. So as I mentioned, you know, who are these religious shepherds? They are the, the ones who failed to take care of the blind beggar and rather than rejoice in his healing, rather than celebrate the fact that he was blind and a beggar and now he could see, they cast him out of the synagogue. Okay, That's who Jesus is identifying here. They're the ones that are supposed to know God, supposed to know his word, and ultimately care for his flock. But when Jesus comes and speaks to them, they reject him and they reject his teaching. And in fact, they take the teaching of God and they add all sorts of things to it and they actually bring bondage to God's, God's flock because of all the extra weight of their rules and regulations. And of course, Jesus is the faithful shepherd. 
Now, we must, again, connect with the, the, this analogy by understanding that what we have here is not a unified analogy like you would have with a parable. This is not one story that is being talked about in the verses that we looked at here, okay? If it were a parable, that's what we would have, but we don't have it. We have a figure of speech that is looked at from three different vantage points. Let me try and explain a little bit as to what, what's going on here, okay? Um, hopefully you have a little understanding of the sport of football, okay? Now, if I were to talk about Ed, who's in the back, everyone say hi, Ed. All right, Ed's in the back there, okay? If I said, listen, using the analogy of football, I want you to think of Ed as a coach. What would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, okay, Ed has the ability to kind of work with lots of people. He has a big picture. He knows how to make decisions in crunch situations, and he knows how to get things out of people in the proper sense so that they will, they will be the best athlete they could possibly be, right? That's one analogy in the context of football. He's a coach. But if I said, well, he's also like a quarterback, does the analogy change a little bit? The role and the function of a quarterback is, is, to, is to do what the coach wants you to do, but also to think with your skills and your abilities in the midst of the game. You're the actual one playing. The coach isn't playing necessarily. He's coaching those who are playing, and the quarterback has all sorts of different things that he's doing. All right? If I said, well, actually, this time, um, Ed is like the free safety. And I may not know what the free safety is like, but the free safety is like the last, your last defense. He's the guy who's the, you know, if you can get by him, you got a touchdown. And so a free safety is, is, is one who always studies flows and patterns of offenses because he wants to be in the right place at the right time to stop anything, you know, anything happening. So it's a different understanding of his role and function, all right? If I said Ed is the water boy, you understand that his job is just to come and provide water. It's still under this big umbrella analogy of football, but it's not like he's the coach, the quarterback, um, the free safety, and the water boy all rolled up in one at the same time. You understand that? If it, were a, if it were a parable, it would be like, okay, you know, he's the coach, and these are all the things that happen, but the whole time through it, he's the coach. So this is the difference between this analogy and a parable. All right? I'm trying to give you some picture, because when we come to these, these titles and these ways that Jesus uses these titles, if we think of them all as one thing, we get kind of confused. Because how can you be the shepherd and the door at the same time? How, how can you connect those things? And how can the shepherd get permission from the, from the gatekeeper who is next to the door? It's just, it, it all gets muddled up. It doesn't make any sense. So just understand, there's three different images, and those three different images are going to help us understand what it is that God wants us to learn as we go through here. So here's basically the premise of our text here, okay? Three marks of a true shepherd. And we're going to just flesh them out here. I'll give them to you. Um, these are your main points. Um, he leads his sheep, he provides for his sheep, he cares for his sheep, all right? A true shepherd leads his sheep, a true shepherd provides for his sheep, and a true shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, it's very important that you understand that I put the word his in there. These are his sheep. If there's anything you see as you're reading through this passage, notice how many times Jesus says, I, my. He's talking about his sheep. My sheep, my fold, all right? He's identifying these belong to me. So let's look at the first one then. The true shepherd leads his sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So we have this first image, this first um, picture, so to speak, 
of him being the shepherd of the sheep. When you think about leading, and you think about a, a shepherd leading, you think about someone who is a guide, someone who knows where he's going, someone who knows the territory, someone who knows where it's, where it's dangerous, someone who knows where it's safe, someone who knows where there's provision and food and all this kind of stuff. And I remember uh, visiting the Holy Land in 2006, and in order to go on a tour in the Holy Land, you need a what? A guide, all right? Now, I, I was born in Israel, and I can say, well, I, you know, I've been in Israel before. I'll be the guide. Uh, you know, I can get you through customs. But after that, you know, that's pretty much it. And we were very, very fortunate to have an incredibly good guide. His name was Saliba, and he, he took us everywhere. And, and uh, there's a couple of us that were part of that. Um, but something about him was, um, boy, he was a fast walker. And we just the whole time, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, you know I, I wasn't out of shape necessarily, but, you know, he, was, he wasn't like super, super young either. And he was always wearing like dress shoes and all that stuff. But man, you know, just to keep up with him was hard. But he knew where he was going. He knew the best way to get into certain sites. He didn't always go the normal way because he knew the effect of going up to a particular place and coming out and looking over and like, wow. He understood all that. And when we got to locations, he would sit us down and he would talk about what happened over here and what happened over here and what happened over here. He knew what he was doing and he led us very well. A, someone who leads, and Jesus in particular, who is a shepherd who leads, knows what he's doing, knows where to take us. Now, in this story, in this, in this analogy, Jesus begins here by talking about those who do not um, represent a true, or being a true shepherd. So I wanna, I wanna put it this way. Letter A, only Jesus has the authority to lead the sheep. Only he has the authority to lead the sheep. Again, let's read verses one through three again and just kind of think of that idea, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. What do you think the point of focus is in that statement? A true shepherd is supposed to enter the sheepfold how? Through the door, right? Okay, so you read on. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper open. So there is a right way and there's a wrong way to enter the sheepfold. Now again, understanding this analogy, we understand a little bit about shepherding in the, in, I want to say the rural, rural context of Judea at that point in time. And many of the villages would have this kind of, kind of communal um, sheepfold. And at the end of the day, the shepherd would come along. He'd, they'd, they'd hire someone to be a gatekeeper, also a hired hand, all right, same title there. That person then would be responsible to make sure that no one gets in and out of the door. And so that shepherd would come in, drop his sheep off, and he would go and he would, you know, go rest or whatever for the night. And then he would come back in the morning, he would get his sheep. But there were lots of shepherds that were bringing in their sheep. So there's this big communal sheepfold, so to speak. You're like, wouldn't that be confusing? Well, it would be confusing, except for later on, we find out that when a shepherd speaks, his sheep what? Hear his voice. And so they had techniques of separating their sheep because the sheep understood who their shepherd was, all right? So you have this communal sh uh, sheepfold um, that is there. And, and, and so that person that was the gatekeeper knew who the shepherds were. So if you are a shepherd in the morning coming to get your sheep, 
and that gatekeeper says, hey, how you doing? You know, come on in. He knows that your sheep are in there. But if there are people in there that are acting as shepherds that didn't go through the door, didn't go through the gatekeeper, guess what? They're not supposed to be there. They're up to no good. So Jesus here is saying there's two kinds of shepherds. There are those who have authority to actually be the shepherds in that fold of whatever flock that might be there, and there are those that do not have the authority. And he's saying only Jesus, only one has the authority to be that particular shepherd. There's a wrong way then to enter the sheepfold that is over the, over the walls, and here these people are described as thieves and robbers. He is an imposter, and he's entered the fold without authority. So they may be within, and they might be trying to gather a flock but they have no authority to be in there in the first place, okay? Now, the second thing to note here is this. Not only does only Jesus have the authority, but only Jesus has the ability to lead those sheep, and that's kind of where we get into how do you, how do you connect all these different flocks that are in this, this mass um, sheepfold? When we continue reading here, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I mean, there's a story, you know, just kind of a typical story of two, uh, two shepherds who have, who have gathered together and they've joined their flocks overnight. And how, how, do, they, how do they separate their flocks, the, you know, when, when it's time to get up in the morning? Well, one shepherd goes on one side of the field, the other shepherd goes on the other side of the field, and they both cry out. And boom, their, their sheep just find their, their shepherd. Again, we, we, we don't live in that world, do we? We don't see that. In fact, we just kind of see a bunch of sheep there. But here, this sheep, uh, this, this shepherd, hear his voice, and notice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What does that tell you? They recognize his voice. What else? They, they know him. He actually has names for them. You know? So maybe, I don't know, I mean, I, you, you probably have, anyone here have pets? All right, you have names for your pets, yeah? Now probably some of you think your pets are really dumb, um, but probably you have names for your pets and you have great affection for them, right? I just think when you name an animal, it probably is adding a little bit to an affection, right? We had our cat for a number of years and her name was Kitty. Very original, I realized that. And then my son Gavin wanted a, wanted a cat um, for his birthday, so we got him a cat. And uh, he called him Timon. And we looked at Timon, who was really, really skinny and, and a runt, and we saw Kitty, who was big and fat, and we said Timon and Pumbaa, okay? So, <laughs> so now we have an affectionate name for our other cat, Pumbaa, okay? Whom we do love. So I think, I think naming the animals here, naming the sheep, is an indication here that the true shepherd is, is intimately passionate and caring for those sheep. They're his sheep. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So when, when they're all brought out, he goes before them, he leads them, and they follow his voice. Now what's interesting is that in the West, shepherds typically walk behind the sheep. 
You've seen like, you know, um, shepherds with their sheep dogs, all right? Usually that shepherd is walking behind and, and the dogs are running around corralling and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in Palestine, they walk in front. They lead their sheep, okay? So it's a little different paradigm here. And that's what's going on here. Now notice what it says here about the stranger. This is the one who's stepping in, who is an imposter, who's trying to be a shepherd. It says here, the shepherd, or a stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, be careful here. I mean, is it, isn't it true that in Scripture we talk about false teachers and people flocking to them? Yes. All right? But remember, sheep are what? Dumb. Stupid. Right? But there's something here about this, that these, these, these strangers have not established a relationship, do not have a voice that is understood, and so these sheep are afraid. And they're afraid so much that they're actually looking for whom? Their shepherd. Right? When they're afraid, they're going to look for their leader, so to speak. Okay? So the stranger, the thief, the robber is unable to lead the sheep. They don't know his voice. They won't follow him. They will flee from him. Now, let's move on to the next, the next picture here, next analogy. Jesus, then, is the leader of the sheep. He is leading the sheep. Now, the next picture here is the true shepherd provides for his sheep. He is the door. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, where would the door be? What do you think the picture is here? Well, in, in a... In a sheepfold, there was an entrance. So he's saying that there's, there's an entrance there, and he is the, the door to that entrance, okay? That's the idea. In other words, in order to get in and out, you have to go through the door. I am the door. If you're going to get in, you've got to come through me. If you're going to go out, you're going to have to come through me. Now, you read that and say, well, oh, so you can go in the, and you can get out? What does that mean? You lose your salvation? No, don't, don't read more into it than the, the, the point of the analogy here, Okay? Because the point of the analogy is talking about a shepherd's relationship with those sheep. Let's continue reading here and note, first of all, the history of bad or false shepherds in Israel. They ultimately reject um, God. They ultimately reject uh, Jesus. The Pharisees are doing that over and over and over again. And the history of Israel demonstrates a couple of things. Number one, it demonstrates that as shepherds of Israel, they disregard their responsibility before God uh, to lead, um, and the end result is that the sheep are wandering from God. You might want to say it this way. As shepherds deny God's place in their worship, so followers will also abandon God. And so oftentimes we might complain about the sheep who are out doing X, Y, and Z, when the real problem is not so much the sheep. In other words, they're not to blame. Why? Because they're, they're stupid. The people that are responsible are who? the ones who are supposed to be shepherds, the ones who have been given that responsibility to care for the sheep and to lead the sheep and to guide the sheep and protect those sheep, okay? So the fault really lies on the level of leadership. Now I would like for you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. And, and this is a, a classic, well-known passage um, about shepherding. In fact, if you look at verse 22 of, of chapter 10, um, I think it's very, very interesting that as we continue the thought of shepherding, um, in, in chapter 10, verse 22, it says, at that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. You know what that is? That's Hanukkah. And you know what Hanukkah is a celebration of? 
Anyone know? No. Huh? No? See, we, we really don't know what Hanukkah is about. It's a celebration of God's restoration of his leadership. It looks back, and it looks back at passages like this that talk about how the leadership of Israel um, abandoned God. And this is actually a, a dedication of what took place uh, when God's, what I say, Israel's people rose up during the Maccabean times and actually, actually fought and won control so that they would have freedom to practice their religion the way they believed God wanted them to practice it. In other words, as they would celebrate Hanukkah, they're going back to passages just like this and they're reading about the failed shepherds of Israel. Now, isn't that interesting? And if you look at this, the, you know, this, this, this gospel of, of, of John, you see these feasts being laid out and Jesus coming along in the midst of those feasts and using an analogy from those feasts to identify himself. Okay? Absolutely amazing and stunning when you think about that. Okay? Now, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. Now he's speaking this about the leadership of Israel at that point in time. And he goes on in the passage and he says, I promise to, um, he's, he himself promises to seek his sheep, verse 12. He promises to find his sheep, verse 13. He promises to feed his sheep, verse 14. I want you to jump now to verse 23. Here he says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, which you know ultimately is a picture of Jesus down the road, right? And he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So when Jesus says, I want to talk to you about shepherding, and you know, ultimately, I am the good shepherd. It's no small thing. I mean, he is coming right at them, right at their heart, which is par for the course for Jesus, right? I mean, he's just laying it right out there in the context of what's going on. But they, of course, reject what he has to say. Notice verse 10 now, back in our, in our passage. We're told there in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is what these false shepherds do. This is how they function. It ultimately comes down to the fact that they only want what is uh, for themselves. And so secondly here, notice the presence of the true shepherd of Israel. There's this history, this bad history. Now, by the way, not everyone um, in the history of Israel is necessarily example of bad uh, shepherding, but it, it, there are certainly seasons and, and particular indictments that God speaks to the leadership. 
Notice now the presence of the true shepherd in Israel. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the in and out isn't necessarily in, now you're in the church and if you walk out, you're out of the church. It's just life, being a sheep with a shepherd, okay? The, 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 the sheep fold is kind of the place where, where, you, where you gather and where you, where you find your, your safety. He says, I am the door. So the door is, is the way in and out, a way in to safety. That's where you go, into the sheepfold. You go there to be safe, right? Keep the wolves out, be protected. Then you find your way out. Why would the sheep go out? Anyone have any ideas? They're going out to find food. They're going out to the green hills far away. They're finding water to, to, to you know, continue their sustenance. Why does Jesus, um, or what does Jesus do? Why has he come? Unlike the devil who we saw a few chapters earlier who was a murderer from the beginning, he is the teller of lies, and there's no better place than to tell lies in the context of the pulpit or in teaching. Jesus is the giver of life. He is the one that gives life, but he gives it abundantly. So you have this, this contrast, and I'm just trying to maintain this contrast. There is the devil who is lying, and there's nothing more that he wants to do than to somehow get in to the shepherds of Israel and to change their message from glorify God to, hey, listen, take advantage of these people for yourself. And that's ultimately what happens because they are described here as, um, where does it say there? as people who, who steal, who rob, and are only in it for themselves. Notice now, if you would please, verse, uh, um, excuse me here, John 14, six. You know the passage. This is Jesus, and he's speaking, and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's a door passage, right? I am the way. You, you can't get in except through me. So it's just a beautiful analogy. We have Jesus as the, as the shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who leads. He's the one who speaks. They hear his voice, and so he leads the sheep. First analogy. Second analogy, I'm the door. I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one who sustains you when you go out. Okay. I am unlike these other shepherds who are strangers who are trying to usurp and, and come and control these failed shepherds. No, that is not me. I am the giver of life and life that is abundant. Now, for a sheep, what would that look like? Is it the collection of stuff? You know, hey, I got a new woolly coat. Want to see it? I mean, is that? Exactly, it's just protection, constant satisfaction because you're being led and guided by the shepherd. Now friends, we, we have our picture of abundance so distorted and it's measured by us as far as labels, as far as locations, as far as stuff that we have and you know, it may be perfectly fine for you to have that. Abundance means walking with God, listening to your shepherd, following his direction, finding safety in him, finding satisfaction and nourishment in the places that he takes you to graze. 
That's one of the realities of why we do what we do here. We want the word of God to be out there, to be the basis of your feeding. And we want to take you to fields that are green and, and, and edible, so to speak, not to hills. It's like, oh, hey, I can see some green over here. Come, let's eat. Oh, you know, here's a verse of scripture. Wow, that's great. We found a verse of scripture in that teaching. No, we want, we want scripture to be there for you to see. We want the gospel to be, to be in, the, in the center of all that is going on. And we understand the implications of that and how we live. It's so critically important. So a faithful shepherd will point to him, talking now about a, an under-shepherd like myself, will point to him, not to himself, not to substitutes, but only to Jesus as the door of entry. Now, isn't it interesting that one of the analogies that is used to describe the leaders in the church is a shepherd? Now, an elder is a shepherd, has a responsibility to care for, to oversee, to feed the flock, but my job as a pastor is not for you to look at me, although my desire is to be a good example, my desire as a pastor is for you to look at him. And so we must all be about drawing our attention to him and who he is and what he calls us to do. Now let's just look at this next one. The true shepherd cares for his sheep. The idea here is caring. He's the good shepherd as opposed to the bad shepherd. Analogy changes a little bit here. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All right? Unlike the good shepherd, though, there is the hired hand. And the hired hand is really selfish. A, the self-love of the hired hand is what we see. Look at verse 12 and following. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. It's just a job to him. He doesn't own the sheep, so he's not willing to sacrifice himself for the sheep. He cares nothing for the sheep. Imagine you're taking a trip to Arizona. That's a long journey, so you don't want to take your car, and you go down to Hertz or Enterprise, and you get yourself a nice mid-sized car, and on your way home, because you're renting it, on your way home, as you pull up to your driveway, you go thud with the tire on, on, the, um, on the curb. Now, if it was your car, you'd be like, oh, that's not good. But you say to yourself, it's okay, what? It's a rental. Very good. You guys are with me, right? So then, you know, you get all your bags out, and you open the trunk, and you throw the bags in there, and you're scraping up the side, and you're like, oh, it doesn't look good. And you say to yourself, it doesn't matter. Why? It's a rental, all right? And you know where I'm going with this, right? And you just, you just continue on in this analogy, and your attitude completely changes because it's not your vehicle, it could be the exact same kind of car that you drive, but it's a rental. A hired hand is hired. Those sheep do not belong to him. And so that hired hand, when there's danger comes, you know what he says? He doesn't say, it's a rental. He says, I'm out of here. I'm just paid to do this, but you know what? Forget the money, I'd rather have my life. That's just practically true. Jesus comes along and says, listen, I'm not a hired hand. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I care for the sheep. And I care so much for the sheep that I am willing to die for the sheep. 
fact, we know Jesus knew that he came to die for the sheep. The good shepherd then is Jesus, who is, um, whose mark of character here is that he has the sacrificial love. And there's just four kind of descriptions that we have in, in the rest of this text. Let me just kind of pump them out a little bit here for us to think about. First of all, just that there's this intimacy, and I would just encourage you to, to study this more. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? But notice the example he gives as to the extent or the depth of that knowledge. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus says, I know my sheep in the same intimate way that I know the Father. Secondly, there's this whole unity. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Let me just please, please tell you, the Mormons quote this. They have it completely distorted. It's wrong. It's not talking about the Mormon church. Okay? The, the, the other fold are the Gentiles. Talking about Israel. And he says, I have other sheep. Other sheep outside of this fold. Here's Israel. And there's the Gentiles. Most of us in here fall into that category. You are a fulfillment of this particular verse of Scripture. And he says, I must bring them also. Not, oh, I might if I can. What does he say? I must. I will bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. What a fantastic perspective here. Here's Israel, the flock of Israel. But there are all these Gentiles out there gathering them together as one. One flock, one shepherd, one church, one Christ. And friends, hear this. Unity is about that. And there's this huge move all the time for unity. And often what happens, though, with the drive for unity, it's, well, let's not let our doctrine separate us. We want to separate, or we want to you know, focus around Christ. It's like, okay, well, what do you believe about Christ? Well, he's a good guy. Then our doctrine has something to say about that. So it's the Christ that is taught in Scripture that we have to unite around, okay? And we've got to be very, very careful. And that's just kind of touching the issue real slow there. Yes, we want to be united, but we want to be united in God's way and for his glory. The third thing here is his, his honoring the Father, his honoring the Father. Four times in the text, he says, I will lay down my life. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Just be careful there, you're not reading in this, the only reason God loves me or the Father loves me is because I do this. There's already an establishment of what Jesus was gonna do before the creation of the world, right? Jesus is only following through with the plan and the purpose that, that the Godhead had already established. And so he is rejoicing over that and there is this love, this intimate relationship in the Godhead that carries that out. The last one here then is this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Here is just the, this attitude or this motive of sacrifice. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to raise it up again. Laying it down, dying on the cross, raising it up, being resurrected. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was willing to do it. Why? Because he loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. Now, friends, this analogy is there, first and foremost, to be a caution, a warning, um, a statement, 
so that the, the Pharisees and the Jews would hear that he is indicting them with this, but it's also with every indictment an opportunity for repentance. And so we're looking into that, and so as we receive it, we have to say, is Jesus our shepherd? Revelation chapter 12, verses four and five, listen to what it says. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. I'll just put in parentheses, that's Jesus. One who is to rule. And that word rule is the word shepherd. All the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus came to rule. He came to shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We are God's children. We are his sheep. are thankful for both the rod and the staff in our lives. Not just this warm, fuzzy thing, but a God who speaks truth when we need truth to, to counsel us, to direct us, to confront us, as well as to comfort us. And of course, there's the response of the Pharisees, and they're divided, what's new. Um, friends, we, we have the Lord as our shepherd. <laughs> and clearly, there's a lot there that we need to continue to wrestle with and to be thankful for. He is a great God, he is our shepherd. Final thoughts here quickly. We are sheep. Can I just say this? If that description is used to describe us, then let's own it, let's acknowledge it. What does this mean on a spiritual level? We need a shepherd, <laughs> right? If we are sheep, if that's who we are, then we desperately need a shepherd. And under shepherds then need to point ourselves or, or need to point the sheep to Jesus. And now that's really kind of a, an obvious thing to be saying. But listen, if we can own the fact that we are sheep, then we will own the fact that we need a shepherd. And what kind of shepherd are we going to look for? We're going to look for Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who is the chief shepherd. And he, it's his voice that we want to listen to. It's his voice that we want to follow. It's his directions that we want to uh, make sure that we are listening to and being obedient to. Okay? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we, can, we, can, we can continue on here. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to celebrate today not only the fact that this church is one year old, but, Lord, the reason why. Now, Lord, there's a lot of us that have done a lot of different things. There's been a lot of planning a lot of lifting, a lot of moving of tables, a lot of putting down of chairs, a lot of eating of blueberry donuts. And yet, Lord, we do not attribute any of those things as to the reason why this church continues to exist. This church continues to exist, Lord, because you are the good shepherd. And you lead your sheep. And you have called me and others to be under shepherds. You've called all of us, Lord, to be your church. And today, Lord, we want to celebrate the fact that you are our great God and Savior. 
that is done, has been done, is or will be done, Lord, in this ministry, although done through the gifting, Lord, that you've blessed your church body with, has all been done because of who you are. And we want to praise you, we want to glorify you, we want to celebrate that you are the reason for this celebration. Lord, now help us. Help us in our sheep stupidity to listen to you, to follow you, to be mindful of the voices out there, Lord, that are not you, that might even seem attractive. But Lord, to, to, to feast where you take us to feast, and Lord, to satisfy our thirst where you take us to drink. And then, Lord, may we as your sheep not only follow you as shepherd, but Lord, may we also take care of one another who are part of this fold. May we be sheep who truly flock together when there is difficulty. But Lord, not in a panic, but with confidence, because you are our leader, you are our guide. So Lord, help us today in all that we do to give glory to whom glory is due. Lord, that is you. We ask this in your precious holy name.